Welcome. You are listening to the Cover to Cover podcast, lively conversations with cutting edge authors, hosted by Mary Elizabeth Jackson. Mary is an author, advocate, and educator. Join us to find your new favorite author, book, or inspiration. And now, here's Mary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my special feature show today, Cover to Cover. It's the show you never want to miss because I always have amazing guests on, and today is absolutely no different. Today, I am talking with thriller writer Terry Shepard, but he's not only a writer, he is a book narrator. He has his own publishing company. I'm saying this slow because I want everybody to actually hear how amazing this guy is. And, um, He's also an incredible friend of mine. So with that being said, I am going to pull him up. Actually, I don't even have to pull him up because he's sitting right here with me. So awesome. And um, we are going to have a chat. So Mr. Terry Shepard, welcome. Thank you, Mary Elizabeth. It's great to be sitting next to you again. I know. I'm still remembering our dinner we had when I was down up your way towards Nashville and meeting your family. And I didn't get to meet the girls, but I got to meet my man. So yeah, you got to meet your, you got to meet your Pokemon buddy. So my son is a big Pokemon uh, lover. And so is Mr. Shepard. And so they've really bonded. Terry's so good with kids. So, you know, they have this thing and uh, we actually found a record store in Gallatin. That's about 20 miles or 20 minutes from here. Sorry. And um, they trade Pokemon cards. So he's going to take some of his cards, not the ones you give him, but some that he has. Yeah, he's not ready to part with the ones you sent him yet, but <laughs> he will be. I know all things are impermanent. He's yeah. going to be a little businessman. So, you know, uh, but we're going to be talking to Terry about several different things because he wears lots of hats, like the creatives that we are do, right? Because we can't get satisfied with just one thing, right? So we have many loves and passions and um, we are going to be talking to him about his latest release called Chasing Karma. Love the title, right? Because usually we're running away from karma, not chasing karma. So I love it. (laughs) And it's called Jessica. It's the Jessica Ramirez series. So you definitely have to check Terry out over on Amazon and everywhere that you can buy books. And, uh, you know, he is, well, I, I, I already said you wear a lot of hats. We know that. And we're going to talk about those things, but you know, for you, Terry, for those people out there who don't know you, what makes you get out of bed in the morning? What drives your passion, your purpose, and what makes you, you? Well, today it was getting out of bed just so I could talk with you. That's the reason I got up this morning. (laughs) Me too. It's on the calendar. We're scheduled. We're so excited to be here today with each other. And uh, yeah, Terry's one of my mentors and I I look up to him. So when I grow up, I want to be just like Terry. So gosh, thank you so much for that, Mary Elizabeth. It's it's a a real joy to be with you. And you are an inspiration for me as well. I mean, the um, why do I get out of bed? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, we all, life to me begins with purpose. Why Why are we here? I mean, that's the question that we ultimately figure out. We have to think about it at least. And if we're lucky, we kind of figure it out. And um, somewhere along the line, I discovered that I think, at least for right now, my, my purpose ha- is and has been for the last five decades, um, helping others reach beyond their self-imposed limitations. So when I was a corporate guy, I loved trying to seek out people that either needed to find their mojo again or 
women and minorities who weren't given chances. I love to put them in situations where they could grow, create the stage where they could go be great, great stars. And when I stopped working in corporate and was starting to write stories, I decided I want to do the same thing, but within the covers of a book. And that's why I chose Jess as a Latina to be my star and uh, surrounded her with an equally eclectic cast of people in the hope that people who live in those bodies and live those lives would think that they could grow up to be heroes too. Yeah. Amen. And I know I, I am going to touch on that about how you, you know, you've chosen um, to have a female lead as a male writing it. Um, And so we're going to, we're going to circle back around to that because I do want to, I, I'm, very curious is what that's like. I, I mean, I know what it's like as a children's writer embodying the spirit of a child as well as you know, you know, because you've got your granddaughter. So it's easy for us to write that that space of a child and what it what turn, you know, where they come from and the wonder of them. And so um, you know, you can't step into a woman's body, but you're writing from a woman's point, you know, about her life. So you've been writing uh since high school. And full-time since 2018, what drew you to thrillers? Because, um, we, you know, authors have, we have authors with specific genres. That's all they do. And we have, we have authors who write multiple genres. So what drew you to thrillers of everything that's out there? Um, when I was a kid, you know, in, in middle school, now they, call, now they call it middle school. It was junior high back when I was going. Yeah. Through. In the old day, that's the OG word. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I was an insomniac. I couldn't sleep at night. So what I did to get to sleep was I imagined that I was creating my own movie every night. And back in those days, back in the 1960s, uh, you know, James Bond was the guy and there were, that was the start of really the thriller genre as we know it now, 60 years later of, um, um, you know, spies and stuff. So I always would create a movie in my mind and direct it, imagine these sprawling scenes and things like that. And that was the stuff that was exciting to me. So when I decided to write, I decided that I wanted to write about this amazing woman who was overcoming all these obstacles, cultural and otherwise. And uh, I wanted to write for people with a short, with short attention spans like me. So one of the things I learned from Dan Brown, the great uh, author of the Da Vinci Code, Last Symbol and, and many other books was that you have each chapter end in a cliffhanger. It's very much like going to the Saturday matinees that our parents went to, to see what was happening next with Superman versus the Mole Men. And that became the structure, the way that I wrote the stories. And then it was just seeing what kind of trees I could run Jessica up into and then start throwing rocks at her to try and knock her out. Yes, because you have your your re- reviews are always raving about the your action, your adventure, and, and like literally what you're throwing at her to try to solve. And so uh, I want these to turn into movies, definitely. Uh, I think that'd be fantastic for these to turn to turn into movies uh, to keep us on the edge of our seats. Now you have already spoken about being a champion for women. Um, and then making your female lead, uh, your lead, a female, what is that like? You know, you're married. And so you get that female, uh, you know, viewpoint, but what is it like writing for a woman? And like, you you must get asked those questions about, um, 
Well, you know, I had the I had the great good fortune to grow up in a household that had strong women in it, and uh, my parents were always populating our house with a very diverse rainbow of characters uh, in the '60s who were in many ways catalysts for the kind of cataclysmic social change that was going on at that point in time. So my assumption was that women were amazing, strong, smart human beings. And I always felt that they had an advantage over men because men are raised to be objective and not to show emotion. And women felt to me to be more naturally intuitive. And as a result, I thought that made for not just better professionals, but better leaders. So in my corporate iteration, I often surround my, surrounded myself with very smart women in the upper echelons of the organization uh, because I felt that after we got done with the old Ben Franklin balance sheet, you know, this is the plus side, this is the minus side, I'd throw it all away and then I'd look around the table and i say, okay, what do we feel? What's, what's our feeling right now? What's our gut telling us? And usually after you've taken all of the objective stuff, plug that in your mind, and then just close your eyes and say, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? That's where the answer comes from. It comes from your intuitive side. Um, so that was the fact that I knew so many of those amazing women gave me a grounding on how I wanted to build the characters. I think a lot about what Mel Brooks said at the 2015 National Medals of the Arts and Humanities. Um, because a big question that I get is how can you as a white guy write women? How can you write uh, Latino LGBTQ? women? Yeah, Latinos. How can you write African-American guys? All that kind of stuff. And Mel said every human being has hundreds of separate people living inside their personalities. And the trick as a creative is to figure out ways for them to relate to the other characters that also live in there. And when I thought about it, you know, we all, as we live every day, we're exposed to different types of humanity. And part of what we need to do is write. Part of my process is that I immerse myself in research. So the minute I knew it was going to be Jess, um, I have a very good friend who is a retired Latina cop. At the time I first met her, she wasn't. And I was riding around town with her, watching her do her thing. But she introduced me to others. Uh, I spent a lot of time. Uh, talking with learning about these amazing people. But I went one step further, and that is to, to kind of walk side by side with them, to really understand, to spend time with them at home, to spend time with them in their normal life, at the grocery store, just watching how they interacted as human beings. And I learned, I think, enough to be able to paint a watercolor. You know, my stuff isn't necessarily one of those things that you look at and you say, that's that painting isn't, looks like a photograph, you know. Mine has a little bit of Monet in it. It's a little bit of expressionism. But I wanted to get it close enough so that people who lived in those skins could look at it and say, yeah, he's in the ballpark. And when I get emails from my women friends who say, how did you put me in that story? How did you know that about me? I didn't tell you that. I know I'm kind of at least in the neighborhood. Wow, that's really a gift, Terry. And you know, it 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 really speaks to when you're going to write something, you want to write it good, you need to do your research and you need to immerse yourself in whatever it is you're writing about so that then you become the expert of what you're writing and then it's believable to other expert people. Expert of the moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, one of the things Dan Brown told me is I asked him, you know, 
how did you know so much about the Mona Lisa? So you could write Robert Langdon doing that. And he said, Wikipedia. I just immersed myself in that painting long enough to really be able to articulate it on the page. And then I was on because the story was rolling, rolling too. Yeah, wow. it, it really was. But I mean, the, the gift for me, I think the thing that I've, that I've loved in the corporate world about helping women and minorities grow and succeed is the same thing I like in, in the writing world about that is that the proximity, the professional and personal proximity you have to have to those individuals to get to know them to decide whether or not you're gonna give them the shot with a company that's got zillions of dollars at risk, um, strengthens both of you. The more we can understand, and I mean, really try and understand people we don't know, and maybe even people we don't like, the better human beings we can be. So that's been the big gift for me about writing the Jess stories is that I feel like I am, I've made new friends, I'm, I'm closer to the experiences people have, but I also have compassion for it. You know, yeah, I am a white guy. That's a shortcoming for me, but it doesn't have to stop me from being able to empathize with and love the rest of the, the rest of the world. Well, we all bleed red. So the fact yeah, that's that, right. Yeah, you know, it's all right on the inside. I mean, we all bleed red. We have bones. We all have skin. We have hair. Some of us don't have hair. Some choose not to have hair. Right. But you know what I mean? We, because we have all that in common, which are basic, we have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to, you know, um, um, breathe, then we have more in common than we don't have in common. And it's, it's judgment and it's how people are raised and it's the illusion of things that makes it, uh, keeps it from being a better, healthier world. And I really like what you're saying about, you know, bringing that intuitive feeling into work. I think if if more corporations, companies, businesses, and individuals can bring both of those sides into a balance, you know, um, then, then you're going to have more success. In, well, in and there's just something clients. about the, the, the social proximity, like for me to be able to, so much of our uh, relationships these days are built on zoom and built at a, at a technological distance. But for me to be able to come up to where you are, and spend time in real life with you and Charlie and Carson and your family. Um, I mean, that's a gift you gave me through the invitation, but it was also a wonderful, there's so many things, so many little nuances that there are to love about the three of you. Oh, <laughs> and no, when you I meet too. your girls, I'm sure I feel the same way. I know. That, I can't that only happen in real life and only happen right. if you open yourself up to it. I mean, a lot of times right. we make judgment just by looking at somebody. Yeah. And that's not necessarily who that person is. Right. Absolutely. And in finding out like, you know, wh why do they do what they do? What is their motivation for what they do? They're coming from wounds of their childhood or, yeah. or places in their life. And so, you know, we really do need, we don't need to judge a book by its cover the way it's said, you know, except some people might do that. That's why we work really hard to have great covers for books because people <laughs> do judge the book by the cover, right? In that instance. But yeah. you know, you, you also, we're talking about hats that you wear. For anybody who doesn't know you, you were in radio, you know, you narrate books. So Terry and I had a conversation uh, on the phone, but actually through texting as well before Christmas about, hey, what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do for next year? What are you doing for next year? Because we're both creatives and we have a lot of loves. So how do we narrow it down? So he gave me his list of his goals for this year. Um, and he is, you know, to narrate books. And I'm happy to, uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in a book that he actually narrated. You know, what, 
I guess, do you like one over the other? You know, um, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there's this is the this is the cool thing about life is that the best thing about life is diversity, diversity of experience, diversity of action, activity, diversity of friends. And, you know, I'm lucky enough so that I have maybe four or five different things that I like to do that I that I'm able to do. Um, and when when I run into a roadblock with Jess, I just switch over to the book, whatever the book is that I'm working on in the narration. Or, I mean, the, the radio station's always there. I'm looking at the control room right at the left of, left of where I'm sitting right now. And um, that I can always see how many people are listening. I know exactly where they're listening from. I can see the requests that are coming in. That's interaction, very much like Facebook and other social media where you watch these timelines go by. And I can interact with them. So if I see somebody that popped up a tune that is particularly that I know something about, I'll say, hey, Steve, that was a great selection. The, ra the Rationals came out of Ann Arbor. I knew them when I was in school and they should have had more hits, you know, that kind of stuff. I think part of the goal that, that, that should be out there for all of us is to start from the whole purpose thing. What are we what are we here for and what are we supposed to do? And if you and I can add value in one small way to somebody's life during the course of the day. Even if it's you're driving through the fast food place and you say, those are the coolest tattoos I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, you know, we don't hear enough of that. We don't get mm -hmm. enough affirmation. I think that's, that's the biggest deficit that we have right now in the world is that everybody feels small. You know, we all mm -hmm. have stories that are dying to be told. We're all going through stuff. And we just need somebody that's willing to look us in the eye and make eye contact listen, and listen with empathy. And I try to do that because not only does it make somebody else feel better, but I always learn something. Right. There's always something in there. And, you know, people like us who write for, write for a living, we're looking for stuff. We're looking for dialogue that we can yeah. drop into our stories and scenarios and things. Ideas. And, uh, that's yeah, where Jess's stuff comes from. And when sometimes you, we meet character, we meet people who are like, gosh, nobody can even write you you know, because mm -hmm. you're so, you're so amazing and so cool. You just showed up and look at you and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to use this. Like I, there are people that I want to write about, you know, I have to, I want to get their permission, obviously, you know, but it's, it's, um, it's amazing to be able to do that, but to be that intuitive and that aware and that focus. So we are talking to Terry Shepard and you got to go buy his book called Chasing Karma. That's the one you'll never forget. With, it's the Jessica Ramirez. This is the third in the series. You got to go check him out. It's Thriller. He leaves you on the edge of your seat, right? Wanting more, more, more. So now let me ask you a question. Do you have your new novel with you? Um, I, you know what? I have, I do. I got a, I got a pile of them over in the corner. As a matter of fact. Okay. Well, this is up to you, but would you like to read us something from it? That's your favorite? Um, sure. Yeah. Let me, um, tell you what, I'll, I will find the, actually the, the opening stanza seems to be the one that everybody, everybody likes is talking about talking about. Okay. It's, this, this is kind of a first for me and that I'm telling this story mostly in first person. It jumps okay. between Jessica and her sidekick, Alexandra Clark. There are a couple of third person things where I just, the problem with first person is you, is you can't be the, uh, 
the guy saying, don't open that door because you don't know what's behind it. Yeah. Third person allows you to describe the bad guy behind the door. Right. So I jump a little <laughs> bit in there. So I'm the first person rules. is, hmm, should I open that door? <laughs> but Jessica has always, and if you started with me on Chasing Vega, you know that Jessica's life has been a life of people telling her all the things she can't do. She grew up an Olympic class swimmer and her father would not let her join the Olympic team. When she joined the cop shop, she joined it at a time when it was still uh, patriarchy and had a very rough time during her. I mean, when I she comes into our lives, she's been at it 10 years and she really is um, knows what she's up against. And her challenge is twofold. One is to figure out um, how to be able to succeed as a police officer and protect and serve her community. That's what really drives her as she wants to be able to serve her community. Um, but the other thing is um, to really find out what she's supposed to be doing because everybody else is telling her what they think she ought to do and she needs to decide that. So over the course of the trilogy of the book, she gets closer and closer and she comes, she's not quite there in book three, but she is a lot closer. And she starts out by talking directly. She breaks the fourth wall and talks to us and she says, if I've learned anything as a cop, it's this. The universe doesn't take sides. The goal is to survive until karma favors you in her own time and in her own way. Your only hope is to have enough strength to emerge from the maelstrom, neutralize the bad guys, and stay one step ahead of destiny's wreckage. So that's the opening, that's the introduction to the book, and you really get a sense for where Jess's head is at right now, and that is that she's kind of got a negative attitude towards it all. She's, she's saying, look, we're all in this alone, guys, and you got to just try and find a way to I get know. through it. Yeah. She needs all that on a T-shirt, right? Yeah. I love it. Terry, that is gorgeous. I was like, I just, I kind of put my elbows on the table here and I just kind of settled in to listen because I love to listen when you talk and read. And I mean, that's, that's beautiful. And it gets straight to where, what, what you're going, what, what you're going for. Well, you know, I was reading um, a Larry McMurtry book yesterday that somebody recommended to me the guy who wrote Lonesome Dove. And um, Love that. I, my favorite kind of books are the books that can be read aloud. So as a narrator, I just, I'm, I am in seventh heaven when I've got a book that really, really sounds good as it's being told as a story. Because if you think back to before we wrote, when Homer was writing and stuff, the way they passed stories along <clears throat> was through reading, through telling them. Right. Exactly. And, the stories were handed down that way. And that's an, an, an amazing, you know, back in early African culture, before the slave trade, <coughs> excuse me, um, they, they had oracles who spent their entire life learning the Internet back then, which was every bit of knowledge and learning it in a certain way so that they could repeat it without making a mistake. And uh, that's the fun part for me. It's when there's a story out there that can be told orally in an audio format and sounds really good. I love that. I love that kind of writing. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so you have a goal this year. Share with everybody, how many books do you want to narrate this year? Well, I, you know, I put a number up there, but my, my goal this year is to concentrate on, um, on more narrations. That's relatively easy for me to do. Yeah. Um, and it's also the, it also seems to be the thing right now that is, um, 
it's where the where's it's where the money's coming from. None of us ever make it as can't get rich as as authors. One percent, maybe zero, less yeah, than one yeah. percent. Yeah. And that's you know that's never been why I wrote. I don't write for the money. Um, but the other thing that I want to do is I want to learn how to write faster, so mm. that I can write more stuff. And that's um, in the two the two areas of my writing interest. One is of course the adult thrillers, the Jessica stories. Um, but I also, you know, I have grandchildren and they constantly bug me saying, what do you do for a living, Grandpa? Do you have a job? <laughs> and when they figure out that I write, they all, they want, they're young enough that they want to be in it. So one of the, the things that I've discovered that's been, that's been a really productive thing for me is that I have a meeting at the beginning of the year with my grandson's teacher. And I say, what are you going to be teaching them this year? And I try and write a, a story or a series that covers those things. So last year it was students in time, which was the history curriculum for the fourth grade. Um, and as I was talking to the teachers, I was saying, what's the toughest thing about that you're teaching? And they said, well, I can't get kids interested in history anymore, at least not early colonies history and Sir Walter Raleigh and Virginia Dare. So I rewrote all of that as a time travel story. So they actually got to go back and witness it firsthand. And that seemed to work. So from that came the idea of creating a team of detectives who are, you know, four middle school uh, kids that um, each bring to the table a skill. They also bring to the table a flaw. But when they work together, when they can work together as a team and they figured out how to do that, they have the intellect of Sherlock Holmes. So since Sherlock Holmes lived on 221B Baker Street, I call it the 221B Club. I and, saw that. Okay, that's why. Yeah. yeah, and this is this is your new series coming out. Yeah, and it's 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 short stories because um, you know I, I'll get I'll get kind of an assignment from the teacher saying we're working on this thing, and then I'll come up with the maybe four or five thousand word. It's very much like what used to be in the Strand for the Sherlock Holmes stories when Conan Doyle was writing. It's a short story about how they address whatever the challenge is. The first one is called the Romanoff gene. They were studying genetics at the time and hemophilia was the center of their study, the blood disease where you, where people don't clot. So um, I put together a story where one of the kids in the class is adopted, didn't know that he had hemophilia, he cuts himself. And so that's what starts their study of hemophilia. And the big question they wanna know is, is he related to royalty? because for a time in the Victorian age, hemophilia was part of the bloodline of many of the leaders of Europe, including the last czar of Russia, whose name was Romanov. So we call the story the Romanov gene, and there's a little bit of history in it, a lot of science. And there's four, what I really try and teach in there is how cooperation and collaboration, how four very different people who come to, each come to the table, one guy's in a wheelchair, one person's an introvert that's only interested in history. I mean, when they all work together, magic can happen. And I hope that'll be something, at least I know from a business perspective, it's evergreen because they're always going to be teaching the same stuff every year. Right. <laughs> you know, It's like right. Juliet and the Mystery Bug. When we wrote the COVID book, we knew that COVID was going to be back. And every time there's a surge, I see a surge in sales for that story. Oh, that's so cool. I need to get a copy of your, uh, your book for the fourth graders. So um, if I can. Yes. Yeah. That's, um, the interesting thing about how that how that works is that um, 
Juliet and the Mystery Bug actually has two audiences, which I didn't realize. One is is the elementary school, the Dr. Seuss age kids, because it basically teaches the science behind germ theory in Dr. Seuss poetry in tetramic right. uh, pentameter. Um, but the other thing is that I didn't know is that they teach poetry to seventh graders. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing two groups buying this book. Uh-huh. One are the elementary kids, the people who, in, in many cases, they're still kids that have moms and dads reading to them. Because how many times we read green eggs and ham to our kids, right? Lots. And then the second group is that I'll hear from is these are these seventh graders who are saying, yeah, we're studying poetry. And uh, this was a fascinating way for me to learn how to do it. That's fantastic. So, so you never know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I did that's uh this is kind of an inside baseball thing for writers, but if you can find a way to tie whatever it is you've written to literature or something that's being studied in school, then you have a forever audience. So um, I, I actually worked with the University of Michigan School of Education to create lesson plans for teachers to go with Mystery Bug. So when they buy the book, they can come to the website and download the lesson plans. And the lesson plans are tied, tied to the core curriculum requirements of every state in the union. So they can actually teach that thing in class and it helps get the kids closer to their requirements for that year. And that's, that's opened up that audience. I didn't know about that before. I thought I was just writing a book that was going to be on, you know, in bookshelves and you would read it for a while to your kids until you got sick of it for the 80th time. Yeah, they right. would hopefully learn about masking and washing their hands and that kind of stuff right? along the way. But, um, it's uh, it's become something that I, I can tell, like I knew I could see in the Northeast when this new variant was coming out for COVID-19 because you see a spike in sales up that way. Interesting. People find the book, yeah. That is so fascinating. So there's a good point out there. You know, look into uh, maybe getting in with uh, either your child, grandchild, niece, nephew, you know, talking to the teacher um, and then talking to a local college or something, you know, in collaboration, um, you know, that's really good advice for authors out there who are interested in doing it that way. Um, you know, because, um, somebody writing an adult thriller would not, you know, but this is really great for authors who are writing in this world of middle graders and younger, you know, younger kids. Um, what would you tell your younger self? about going into the business that you're in? Would you say, don't run away, go the other direction? <laughs> or would you say, what, what, what advice would you give your younger self about what you do? Um, you know, it took me a while to learn that uh, not every teacher is going to be an excellent teacher. And if there's something that you are interested in, you need to find a way to learn about it and find that good teacher, even if that teacher is yourself. Um, for me, I decided when I was a junior in high school that I didn't have the aptitude for math or science because I had a lousy geometry teacher. I had a really bad geometry teacher. And I realized how bad she was as an adult when I wanted to start flying airplanes. And airplane flight is all geometry. <laughs> so once I understood you know, the angle of attack for taking off and calculating, getting to altitude and landing and all that kind of stuff. That's all the stuff that I I wasn't able to understand in geometry. And this is why I have such incredible admiration for people 
who work with kids and who are teachers, whether or not they're certified teachers in a classroom or they're moms or dads who are teaching kids every day at home. To be able to inspire somebody to believe that they can do something that they never dreamed or to open a new window for them to a world they didn't know about. I mean, aviation was the thing that opened me up to the, the mathematics. Broadcasting opened me up to electrical engineering. Originally, when I wanted to be a broadcaster, it was because I was an introvert and I couldn't speak to anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. You, Mr. <laughs> Terry, were an introvert? I cannot yeah. believe that. That's why I chose radio, because I knew two things. One was I would be talking to a microphone and I wouldn't have to look at anybody. But two was I would learn how to have those skills of conversation with people. And I studied and I, I read a lot of the motivational books about how to how to win friends and influence people. Great, great early book that was a Bible for me back then from Dale Carnegie. And I became, I'm, I'm, I'm still an introvert, but I became able to function in the world as an extrovert. Mm. Um, but that was, that was self-taught. All of that stuff was self-taught. I wanted, I wanted to be a broadcaster so bad that I would do what it took to learn that skill. And that's, I think that really is the thing is in life is to figure out, once you figure out what it is you think you want, not to give up when you hit the obstacles because they are out there. And uh, just when you think you've got your act together, and sometimes when you're at the pinnacle of wherever you think you are, you're going to get knocked right off and you got to start over again. And you have to think about things that you're interested enough in that you do them for love and not for money. And then that's where you will be successful. Right. Absolutely. And so you, you've touched on some really important points there and it's finding that purpose, finding the thing you love in, in figuring out what you have to do to get there and not giving up and not being lazy. You know, there's that lazy. I mean, it's just, it's hard. No, it's no. I'm work, saying, but right? some people are lazy. So they, they give up. They don't, they, they don't want to, to work hard. We have this whole generation this is happening to, right? So we got to teach them, you know, you really, if you want it, work hard, you'll get it. You'll get it. Right. Yeah. There's something yeah, about you know, working hard. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely a, uh, a fan of work ethic. I think yeah. that, that at the end of the day, that's what wins. It's not brains. It's not who, you know, it's how hard you're willing to work to get there because you'll figure out what you need to do. For example, in our business to promote your brand, to promote your books, you'll figure that out if you keep working at it. But the, the, the thing that's behind that is you can't just say work ethic, right? There has to be a motivation. There has to be a reason that you care about. And, you know, for me, there was a lot, a lot of days when I didn't really want to go into work, but I had two young kids and a wife, you know, I had to figure out a way that I could support them and I was not going to let them down. So I figured out one of the, one of the early laws I learned was that successful people do what unsuccessful people are unwilling to do. Mm. And that's, um, you know, we think about that every day as we, we always vector towards the easiest, the easiest route to get where we want to go. Yeah. But that's, you know, the road less travel is, is the harder road, but it's also the more rewarding road as long as you understand where you're going. And a lot of people don't, you know, I see, I, I know a lot of people just kind of, they, they land in a job and I know a lot of cops who've done this. I did, they became police officers when they were young because it was easy, but then they got hooked on the money and then all of a sudden they're in the middle of PTSD and are retiring with a medical retirement because they can't do it anymore. Well, they got hooked on the job. 
And right. it wasn't necessarily their purpose. I think the reason that Jessica in, in the Chasing trilogy is so good is because she has a moral compass. She knows why she's doing that job. And she knows that she's making a difference and she's not going to let anybody stop her. And it's also her flaw because she makes these decisions based upon the emotion of the moment. And this is the right thing to do, even though it might not be the safe thing to do. And that's what gets her in trouble. So I think that's one of the things that I I hope it makes the Jessica stories attractive is that there are things we can all relate to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every single day. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. So we've been talking to Terry Shepard today on Cover to Cover. And um, his book series is the Jessica Ramirez stories, Chasing Karma is his newest one. And so you can find him uh, on Amazon and uh, wherever books are sold. Tell everybody where they can find you if they're looking to find you. The easiest way to do everything, Terry, is just to visit terryshepherd.com. Shepherd like the shepherds tending watch over their flock. And everything's there. terryshepherd.com slash karma takes you right to all the purchasing pages for Chasing Karma. And all the other books are there as well. And that's how you can contact me, Terry at terryshepherd.com. All right. Awesome. Terry, thank you so much for being here today. I totally love this. And I hope that uh, everybody is um, really gained some great knowledge and information and becomes a huge fan. So uh, because you're amazing and I'm so blessed to know you in this life and um, can't wait to see uh, some fun things we can do together. And cause collaboration is so cool. Right. And, um, and we'll be, I'll be back soon with another uh, episode of cover to cover. And we hope you guys have a blessed day. Terry, thank you so much. My pleasure, Mary Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of our audience today. Please subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends and tune in for the next episode of Cover to Cover for all things in the author world.